Hi, and welcome to Data Talk. Our podcast covers all things data collection, web scraping, and analytics that will help you and your business become more data driven. Ben, thank you very much for, for taking some time out of your busy schedule to, to speak with us, uh, myself and Omri. Um, ben, I think let's dive straight in and get to know you a little bit better about your background, your history, and how you got to where you are today. Absolutely, and thank you for having me. Uh, I've known Omri for, for some time now. He's a good friend, and uh, I know a lot about your product, and uh, you, know, you guys have a tremendous company running there. So to give you a quick background about myself, you can sort of summarize into three buckets, investment banking, startups, both as a founder and operator, uh, and venture capital. You know, my, my work today involves investing in growth and late stage companies, uh, you know, specifically in the tech sector. And we focus on a few themes, ed tech, fintech, mobility, and vertical SaaS. Uh, and we also try to invest in companies that have uh, some sort of diversity initiative as well as, as part of our thesis. So when it comes to the uh, fund that I'm at today, we sort of have two sides to the fund. The first is closed-ended fund that we invest out of. Uh, and the other side is a fintech platform, actually, that we're launching you know, in the next, I'd say, four to six months. And that is uh, a measure to or let's say an attempt to democratize the venture space and allow access to um, you know, more people that one may not know uh, about venture too much, but also two may not have the relationships to get access. When I was looking at the website, it really felt, um, you used the word democratize, and it really felt like that explains it very well, that it, it, it provides access to a much um, larger amount of investors um, than perhaps would traditionally be be possible. Yeah, absolutely. And and we we truly believe in that, right? Uh, as a company, because for so long the private investment space. Um, so if you want to look at it, there's you know there's public companies that you can invest in on the stock market. There's uh, you can do that through Robinhood or Charles Schwab or TD Ameritrade. But the private space is very much a space for folks that have relationships, folks that you know, come from the world of finance uh, that have the know-how to look at these companies and have the know-how to address certain issues within those companies. Uh, and we believe that by providing them our know-how, providing them our relationships, people would be able to, you know, build a, a more robust portfolio when it comes to their finances, when they include, you know, private companies, especially the tech sector, which is, as we know, taking over the world today. Yeah, I noticed on the website there was a couple of companies that stood out, which was Airbnb, I believe. Yeah. Um, and obviously, and SpaceX which seems to be, you know, very topical at the moment. These are these are companies that you started working with at an early stage. No, these are strictly late stage investments. So we've invested in multiple rounds of SpaceX, and uh, we invested in one round of Airbnb before they went public. Okay. So a lot of the investments happen pre-IPO. Yes, absolutely. Some of them are uh, primaries, which means that we're investing uh, directly in the company as they raise a round, as, as they raise an official round. And some are secondaries, which means that we purchase shares from other investors that are looking to liquidate their investments. Uh, you go, I go. You go, after you. All right. Uh, do you see a difference in the um, expectation of... of um, data and information 
for uh, private investors between the public markets and the private markets. So do they, when they log in, they expect to see kind of a sticker environment where you see demand and supply, or do they um, expect a totally different environment? So uh, y- yes and no, right? If I think if it's, um, there, there's always, there's always a level of supply and demand in any market that you go into. Um, I think in the public markets, it's much more pronounced um, in, in fact, significantly more pronounced because there's just more liquidity in those markets. And so you see that supply and demand play out in real time. Uh, in the private markets, uh, it, it's, I'd say, slower uh, in, in terms of how you see it. Uh, it's a delayed reaction in terms of supply and demand. Uh, and it's also much more relationship-based, I'd say. Uh, so, for example, if we are investing in a primary round, um, in, in let's say a Series C company, and there may be a ton of demand for that specific company uh, because when an investor looks at it, they may look at you know uh, the the past investors that have invested, uh, and that's that's quite important um, when you're investing at at the growth and late stage because the seed stage investors, uh, you know, if, if they're big name investors and they've had a, a ton of experience in the space. You, they they most likely know what they're doing, um, and you know no no investment is, is ever perfect, uh, no investment is ever guaranteed. Obviously, uh, there's always risk to be had, but um, you're sort of countering that risk by investing with um, you know early stage investors that are really prevalent within that specific niche or industry, and and so when you look at the supply and demand story, that's part of the information and data that folks look at. When, when it comes to growth and late stage, because you know if, if you have a, a rock star company, let's say an Impossible Foods, for example, that has had uh, tremendous amounts of investment, so the the amount of investment also matters, uh, the the amount raised, and you know what what the the progress of the company has been so far using that venture capital money, and and then you also see that you know they have some rock star investments on their on, uh, investors on their cap table. Um, you begin to see that the the company is reputable, you know, and obviously for Impossible Foods, you do your diligence, you look at where the products are, what partnerships they have, the the brand, uh, their competitive moat, uh, what advantages they have in the market, what uh, specialties that uh, their, their products are showcasing, so on and so forth, right? There's There's many data points to look at, but when it comes to the supply and demand story, there may be more demand than supply. Most times there are, right? Most times uh, for companies like Impossible Foods, many investors that want to invest do not make it onto the cap table, right? Uh, they, they don't get access to the investment. And that's where relationships really come into play in the venture capital space. So basically, there's another layer. If the public markets are very supply and demand and reports oriented and maybe market outlook, then the information around private companies is around who invested, like uh, who invested, what's the size of the investment, the market competitors. Uh, so it's less of uh, immediate data, but kind of more a timeline data. Am I saying it correctly? Yeah, I'd say it's, it's uh, a bit of both in, in the private markets. Uh, there, there's definitely timeline data because you, you're essentially going through the, the company's story uh, and, and what they've done so, so far from the date of founding uh, to the date that, that you know, you're, you're evaluating that investment. But there, there is also, you know, financial and operational data that, that we look at. I, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is the supply and demand is delayed because 
again, one, there's more demand than there is supply when it comes to the you know venture capital world. And so relationships really matter because if you have a relationship with a specific investor or a specific founder, you're more likely to get access to that investment. But also when it comes to the operational and financial data, uh, it, it's much, uh, not much, but it's less of an established company than you know, a Microsoft or an Amazon, for example, uh, where they've had years on years on years of historical data that has been made public, um, that has been sort of audited and, and made sure it's accurate. Uh, and, and there's just a lot more, say it simply, accuracy in, in the public markets. Whereas in the private markets, there's more assumptions to be made. Uh, there's more forecasting to be made. And what kind of alternative data do you take into account when you uh, go into such an investment? Um, when it comes to alternative data, uh, so some of the aspects that we look at, and this is really depending on the company. So let's take an example of a SaaS company. And so SaaS usually is, um, you know, they're, they're typically an, an, an online uh, platform. The client or customer is able to, if not, you know, access the platform online, uh, at least access the the company's portal online. And so, you know, one of the, one of the examples that I give out here is when looking at the demand of the company uh, to get an idea of of where the demand is going. We may look at web traffic, for example, right? If it's a company that has an app, um, um, we may look at app downloads and app reviews. We may go on to G2. Uh, or or Captera, you know some some of the big review sites for technology, uh, and look at uh, customer reviews there, and and really read into what their clients are saying. Um, other times we interview customers ourselves and you know kind of dig into the details. And there's there's many times where we interview where we interview employees uh, and executives because we have relationships with those people, um, and they're able to provide us insight. And it, you know they're they certainly don't provide us with data or financials that they're not supposed to provide because you know, that, that would you know, kind of put them in trouble with their own company. Uh, but they provide as much insight as they're able to, to, as they're allowed to, I'd say, into the company's operations and, and where the company's going. And so, so those are some examples of the alternative data that we use um, internally here at Marketplace. What about a company like SpaceX? Um... That's not a SaaS platform and is quite, pardon the pun, out there. Is there alternative data that you can utilize in order to uh, provide your investors with some insights? Uh, I, I'd say yes and no. I'd say you know you could you could look at alternative data focused on government contracts, for example. Um, you know, if you if you consider that alternative data, I, I guess let me let me ask you in in the terms of SpaceX. Uh, what would you consider alternative? Just, just to be specific. I'll, I'll define it for you. Gotcha. Alternative data is any information that's available um, that is not published by the company itself in order to make business decisions. But the, the challenge there is that it, it's not a platform. It doesn't have its, its customers are, there aren't many customers. How do you understand the sentiment of the company? How do you understand its, you know, its brand reputation? It's, it's, I think it's very different to a consumer. It's, it's very different to a B2C or a B2B based business. I think yeah. that's where the challenge may lie. Yeah. And, and that's, there, there are challenges there for sure. So you're absolutely right about that. And in and, and the sense of the definition that, that Omri has given me, 
I'd say some of the alternative data that would be uh, relevant to SpaceX would be, you know, kind of going onto the government websites and kind of checking uh, what public contracts the government has given SpaceX. Although I think SpaceX makes that information public anyhow because it's, it's part of their, their growth story. But also looking at, you know, the, the number of employees on LinkedIn, how that has grown or shrunk, for example. The type um, of employees, by the, the way. The type of employees is, is, is pretty important. It kind of tells you, you know, especially for these very high-tech sort of frontier tech companies, uh, looking at, you know, as Omi said, the type of employee is also pretty important because it tells you where the company is going sometimes. You know, if they're building new products, um, you know, if SpaceX hires uh, 10 new AI-focused engineers, uh, you know, they're including some sort of AI play into, uh, into their company, into their products. You know, the, the, those, I would say, are good points of alternative data when it comes to a company like SpaceX, um, which is quite differentiated from, from other tech companies. Uh, it's, it's more innovation than tech, uh, I'd say, uh, in, in, in the typical sense of tech. And I'd say it's more yeah, frontier technology uh, than it is, you know, the everyday SaaS or fintech or uh, you know, insure tech that, that we look at. Do you see that there's a difference um, between the three um, types of investors that you mentioned in the data that they require? Is there a difference between the institutional uh, investors as opposed to the families or individuals? Do they, do they crave, do they need different data points in, in order to make a decision? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, I think the, the more sophisticated investors, the institutionals do require more data because that's what they're typically used to in the public markets. You know, they have their Bloomberg terminals uh, and, and uh, you know, their, their fact sets uh, and, and they're able to sort of access many of those platforms to, to, to be able to, to acquire that public data uh, and make sense of it. And so they look for uh, similar data sets in the private markets. Um, I don't think there, were, there will ever be a complete data set you know, when compared to the public markets, but as close as possible, they, they certainly look for it. Um, you know, and then, you know, because they don't have that complete data set like they do in the public markets, they, they do require alternative data uh, to, to make sense of what the company's doing and the company's story. Do you think the data that you um, provide the investors gives you a, an advantage? Um, over other competitors in the market, the, the ability to, especially I think with the fintech platform uh, that you mentioned launching soon, um, is that what um, differentiates you in a, in a crowded market? Because I think, as we spoke about in the last episode, there are a lot more private equity uh, companies. There's a lot more demand now for, um, for investment. So does the quality and the, the level of data collection that you're doing give you a competitive advantage? Let's actually take a step back and kind of explain why these investors are looking for more data uh, in, in, in the private markets um, and, and why there is more demand in the private markets. So when we look at the public markets today, the technology assets are, uh, or it's, let, me, let me call it technology investments, are uh, highly overvalued. Um, you know, we, we, we've seen their valuations come down significantly over the past few months, and many, many investors are sort of moving from, um, you know, growth investing to value investing uh, and, and moving into more, um, you know, traditional industries 
such as uh, traditional finance and, and, uh, and industrials. Um, but, but also, I think for some time now, there's been a realization that um, investing in a technology company before they go public is really where the most gains are at when it comes to uh, you know, ROI. And many of the folks that are uh, in the investment space today, whether it is on the institutional side or on the individual side, they, they've come to that realization, one, you know, because the, the internet is vast these days and there's a ton of information about this today and there's a ton of blog posts and news articles about um, you know, the, the returns that are coming from the you know, private, private technology investing space. But also there, there's just you know, many more data sets around it as well. So folks can see for themselves what those returns are. And you know what, as as an as a investor, you typically want the highest return for the least amount of risk taken. Um, and so that's, that's where the shift to private investing comes into play. And that's where the demand comes into play. For the investors that will be using our platform, one of the things that we want to provide them is information information and data uh, to help them make decisions um, and also to, to educate them as well. So one of the, uh, the, the, uh, the mainstays of, of the platform is to essentially um, allow many of these investors to not only you know, look at the general company information you would find on a crunch base or on a pitch book, uh, but also provide them with detailed insights, insights that uh, you know, only only a person with my background may have, only a person with my, my CEO's background may have. We've worked through, you know, multiple industries, and my CEO and I have, have similar backgrounds in terms of uh, investment banking, uh, um, uh, startups, and, and venture capital. Uh, and we've just gained a perspective and understanding of each industry and how to look at each company, right? So when I look at an investment, and, and diligence and investment, I'm able to look at it from both a financial perspective, but also from an operational perspective, because I, I built startups in the past, and I, I've worked at startups in the past, uh, and I, I'm able to, to, to look at them as, as a person in the seat of the founder or the operator. Uh, and I think many investors out there don't have, don't have access to those glasses, if you want to call them, um, because they haven't gone through that experience. So that's something that allows us to differentiate ourselves in the market and provide better investment uh, opportunities, but also better data around those opportunities to our investors. You, you talked about ESG in the beginning of our call, and that's yep. another layer today. First, the, the first question is um, around it is, um, do you think today directly correlated into profitability, valuation, growth, or is it nice to have? Where do you see it kind of uh, in, the, in the movement? Yeah, no, I, I love that question. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a big, um, it's a big, I'd say, like, passion of mine to, to just really focus on this because, you know, if you look at investing in general, not just in the private space, but also in the public space, investing isn't just a financial activity. Uh, it's it's a social activity, right? And what I mean by that is, you're investing in trends, and, and human psychology, and human habits, and overall, you know, global human activity, and all of those things that I just mentioned stem from, you know, individual day to day, 
you know, human actions, right? And culture and uh, how that culture is interpreted and how people kind of, you know, view each other and view other cultures and, and so on and so forth. And I hope I'm making sense with this. I'm not just babbling because in my head, it does make sense. So, so let, me, let me get to the conclusion that, that allows you to sort of uh, get a vision of what I'm talking about. If you're looking at sort of investing in a specific space, you know, you, we have, let's say, a population of, I don't know, let's, let's just assume uh, uh, for, for the sake of example here, 20% African-American in a, in a specific uh, uh, industry. And we're able to sort of kind of realize that the psychology of that industry is different, right? Um, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's, it's best understood by somebody that has a similar psychology. And so investing in ESG is tremendous because we need diversity everywhere, right? It, we're, we live in a diverse global world. And I think people that don't realize that uh, need to wake up and, and you know, smell the coffee at some point. But it's also smart economically, because if you invest in a company whose founders are African-Americans or Latinos or underrepresented founders in general, uh, whether they're female, right? And, you know, there's, there's a story, in fact, a perfect story about a female founder who, after becoming uh, pregnant and giving birth to a child, you know, she was, she was a consultant for a very long time. And uh, she, didn't go, she didn't want to go back to her corporate job. She wanted to start a company of her own. And she started a breast pump company. And she took it to, uh, to VCs uh, who, you know, uh, in, in those days, uh, and it still is the story today, but it's improving little by little. Um, many of the VCs are, are, are males, they're men. And so, you know, when she pitched her idea and her company to those VCs, and even though her co-founder was her husband as well, many of the VCs did not understand what she was building um because being completely honest with you as as a man myself i would never understand the operations of the right um, um so so when when she began pitching it to female vcs they started to see that hey there is a market for this there, there's there's a a real story behind this uh and we should invest in in this uh female founders company and so th this is where diversity comes into play it's it's perspective it's understanding of what the company is who the founder is and 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 what the the company is building really more than anything else. Um, we are actually going into ESG as well, in ESG data. That's our uh, our uh, playbook around this one. Um, two things that I think are interesting. One, in terms of governance, um, when you see there's a lot of public data around around uh, governance, and I think today you see companies that they know that have been that investors are looking at at it how much the CEO makes, you know, top five earners, the contract that they are signing with the employees, um, what is allowed and not allowed and everything. I think it's important. First of all, this is, it's kind of, this is the, the G part of it is the old school part of ESG, the old school, old school, but it's important because people are looking at it. Yeah. You're not, even if you're, there was kind of a notion that you could do anything, right? Uh, there's a lot of examples that, that are going to court, but um, also a lot that are not going. And uh, even if you're thinking of the, the mere fact that you're thinking about it as an investor, I think already kind of airs everything out. And the second thing around ESG that I think is interesting is when you look at companies that are doing, you know, um, software, 
their net gain could be, you know, re revenue, the top line is great and the net gain is awesome. But end of the day, all of the battles are, end are uh, ending up in the India coastline. And then you have to clean it up and you have to recycle it. And, and that's, that's taxes that the, the public is paying. So I think this is the view. First of all, public data can bring in as a, as a general idea, but as that investors are looking at. So I, I totally agree the, around the social. I totally agree. I think that um, the representation is super important. Yeah, and, and it's, it's also, yeah, I think it's also a, a, a generational aspect as well. The, the newer generations, you know, the, the millennials like us and then generations younger even, um, they really care about social responsibility. You know, whether, whether it's environmental, whether it's diversity, what, what, whatever it may be, they, you know, I should say we want a better world because we're seeing the effects on the environment. We're seeing the effects on social constructs and, and they're not good. They're not, they're, they're not playing out to our, our expectations. Uh, and, and I think in this specific generation, the generation of entrepreneurs, the generation of innovators and, and, and game changers, uh, there is a prevalent thought and idea that you can change the world, right? And you don't have to, to build this giant company, change the world. It could be with your day-to-day -day purchases, right? So you can vote on whether, uh, you know, a company that's dumping oil in some, some you know, river in, in, in the U.S., uh, or dumping chemicals there uh, is getting your dollars. Uh, or you can choose to go with a B Corp, a certified B Corp um, that is focused on ESG. And even if their product is a couple dollars more expensive, you know that in, in the long term, this is more helpful to the environment, society, um, and ultimately yourself. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think this is what, what we'll see, as far as I understand, in the, in the in the motions that are going through the data market is that the valuations of companies are going to be affected directly just because of the supply. The first reason is supply and demand yeah. for investors. And that's the, that's the valuation, not even the, the revenue. And the revenue is going to hit because of the, the millennium part that you mentioned. I think this is, this is definitely where the, the, the enterprise world is going. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and at the end of the day, like the, number one driver of any company is, is the consumer, right? That's, that's where it all starts. Um, every company is trying to serve a consumer and whether that consumer is individual or, uh, or, or another company, if it's a, it's a B2B type of business. And, and I think as our generation, the millennial generation continues to take over the economic reins from the baby boomers, we're, we're really using our money to vote more than anything else. You know, whether, whether you are, an executive at a company looking to purchase software and you figure out that there was a scandal within one of the vendors that you're evaluating, you know, it, it, you, you decide against that because you don't want to be part of that story. Right. That's, that's like one, one major example of, of how consumers are really driving change. And then on the day consumers drive revenues and profits. Right. And so that is also going to affect the, the investments made in that company, whether it's public or private as well. I think when you look at that kind of data, by the way, and, and tie it back to ESG, if in the past they would look at prices as an option to make a bit, today they look at the ingredients as well. Yeah, right. absolutely. I, I think this is kind of what we see. It's like um, the, the millennials, and I'm joining the club, 
the minute <laughs> are are looking at everything and i think it makes sense i think it makes sense it's kind of we're not kind of uh you know shying away from confrontation that was in the past and i, I think this again ties up to data and esg it's like the visibility the transparency the responsibility around it i think this is kind of at least what i see these companies are i don't know if the market is forcing them i think it's partially that but also people that are growing with uh, social uh, awareness as well yeah yeah i agree and especially when it comes to transparency i think transparency is being uh heavily rewarded in the market i tend to agree i think i think um at least that's what we try to do is when when you try to act you know There's no, re- there's no reason to hide anything if you're doing it right. Yeah. I mean, and, and like if, you know, you're, you're a company that, that hides this information, you know, you, you mentioned ingredients. You know, for example, it, when, when I go out and, and buy something, I'm, uh, I tend to think of myself as pretty uh, health conscious. When I go out and buy something, I, I look at the ingredients. And if the ingredients are kind of one... Uh, all all labeled as uh, you know uh, and, and, and bucketed into into a single sort of category and you don't give the details about a, a you know what's what's included in that food product uh, or that supplement um, I typically don't buy that right because you, you really want to know you know where the, where the product is coming from how it's sourced uh, but also what what you're consuming um, and that doesn't just go for food and supplements it, it goes for you Um, technology and everything else as well you know I, I used to work for an HR tech company and one of one of the major uh, message messaging around the company was uh, transparency of, of how transparent we are with our customers and and uh, especially when it comes to uh, products and customer service and pricing um, you you kind of want to know as a customer or even as an investor uh, what is going on in the company um, and and if the company is begins to hide something uh, whereas in the past that may have been okay because you know people people of, of that generation had the psychology of you know the the company kind of uh, needs to protect themselves or whatever uh, today it's it's very frowned upon um, you know we as a generation I think we would rather have a company tell us they messed up um, versus try to hide it and And sort of fix it quote unquote um, because th- there's just trust in the equation right and I think trust is quite an important factor when it comes to many of these uh, ESG stories very interesting yeah trust trust is part of the equation that's definitely I think uh, a big part of it um, cool Phil you have anything else before we let uh, Ben actually go and invest in something yeah No, I think it's a very interesting <laughs> subject. I think you know it's a process, right? Well it's be interesting. As a consumer, you can see it taking effect, the sentiment towards you know big social media networks or even seeing uh, ingredients being more like displayed very obviously on products with um, high sugar or high fat. So I think you know it's a process and it'll be interesting to see how the investment community adopts this over the next. You know the next few generations or you know what comes after generation X or and how how that develops even further to become more more conscious consumers yeah yeah I agree so I, I don't think the uh, I, I think it's going to be driven by the consumer base versus the investor community 
you know, there, there are, I'm not going to say there aren't investors out there that are driving this. There are, but I think um, the majority of the, the trend moving forward will come from the consumer base because, you know, again, they're, they're voting with their dollars. And I think that's, that's where um, the economics come into play and, and where sort of investors' eyes uh, are, are, uh, are focused on is, you know, how much money is this company making? Is it profitable? And, and again, there, there are investors out there that do take ESG seriously, do take diversity seriously. I, I think the majority are still yet to get there. So the, the major driver will be the top line revenue and profit. Numbers. Ben, thank you very much. It was a very interesting uh, conversation. You, and uh, we'll let you go and do some investing. Absolutely. I hope you guys uh, enjoyed this. I, I certainly enjoyed it myself and uh, look forward to staying in touch. All right. Thanks a lot, Ben. Thanks.